severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Just Get A Real Job podcast. I'm of course your host, Jamie McKinley, and thank you as always for tuning in and for listening to this podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. Thank you for choosing to listen. If you're listening on Spotify, by the way, they now have a follow button. They'd had it for a while, I've just never plugged it, but be sure to click that follow button so you can see when new episodes come out. And be sure if you're listening on Apple or anything like that to subscribe as well. And yeah, please share this episode. Please share this podcast if you're enjoying it. And we're always looking for new listeners, etc. And that is how we keep growing. But thank you for tuning into this week's episode. We have another brilliant conversation in store for you. And we are joined by talented writer Rachel Bellman this week. And she has a new play on at Fear to 503 called These Demons and it starts today and it is on till the 14th of October and there's a link to that in the show notes so any London-based listeners or or listeners that are down south in Ingerland be sure to keep an eye out for that if you're passing through London etc. Me and Rachel had a really interesting chat about that play about some of her other things she's written which she's worked in musicals a lot so we talked about developing and composing and writing musicals which was really interesting. We had some nice chat about balancing work and being a creative and making those endeavours work and we recorded this one quite a while ago back in mid-July so a couple of months ago but it was lovely to chat to Rachel and she was a great guest so this episode as always is packed full of great insight and really interesting conversations. I just wanted to say also a quick thanks to the guests over the last few weeks it's just been an incredible run of guests some amazing information like I just wanted this podcast to be a toolkit for people working in the creative industries or people interested in this industry and the last like just since we returned really I mean all the podcast has always had great conversations on it but I just think particularly the engagement we've been getting over the last few months has just been the best we'd ever had so it's been an amazing journey to be on and thank you to everyone that's listened and I'm glad people are getting something out of this. I also have another special announcement to make. We shared on our socials a few weeks ago we're going to be doing another live podcast at the HP Film Festival which starts a week on Thursday. I think it starts on the 6th of October. There's a link to that in the show notes, but we are going to be doing a live podcast there on the 8th of October at 10.30 in the morning, a nice Sunday morning. So if it's Sunday, come along, get a coffee, come watch us do a live podcast. But very much looking forward to that. We're going to be joined by... Sarah Grant, who's a very talented filmmaker, has done lots of other stuff as well. Ashley Dick, who's a very talented animator, among other things, among filmmaking as well. And stills photographer, Sonia Bleacher. So a really interesting lineup of people, all a bit different. So yeah, really looking forward to that. There's tickets and more info on that in the show notes. But, but yeah, be sure to check out the HB Film Festival in general. There'll be lots of incredible short films playing there all weekend. So yeah, get down and check that out. But without much further ado, here is episode 114 of Just Get A Real Job with the incredibly talented Rachel Bellman. Good evening, Rachel. Lovely to meet you and thank you for coming on Just Get A Real Job podcast. It's great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, just I thought just to start us off, if you may want to introduce yourself for the listeners, like tell us what you do and what you're all about, etc. Absolutely. So I am a writer 
and storyteller. I mainly work across plays and musical theatre and in musicals I write book and lyrics so that's the script and the lyrics and I work with composers who do all the musical stuff and I am based in London and I guess I've been doing this writing for around nine-ish years now on a kind of professional level and I say professional I don't mean necessarily making a living full time but I guess I mean kind of being paid for what I've been doing in some way or working with creatives who are professional and getting paid even when I'm not and yeah that's that's me I like telling stories that are really unique in some way I often use kind of genre elements whether that's horror or thriller or fantasy and I really just like telling good stories amazing well I mean what you were saying there about sort of working professionally but not always full-time I mean that's very much embodies a lot of what just get real job podcast was all about we'd had so many different guests at various stages of their career and as I say that it's such an interesting industry where often people are working full-time for a bit or they maybe work on a project and then you know so jumping between different jobs etc so it's great to have someone like yourself on the podcast again because the more people hear from these individual experiences I think it's really useful and you know this was set up to be a toolkit so it's lovely to have you on. I'm sure we've got loads to speak about, especially since you've doing this for nine years. And you also, of course, have a play coming up called These Demons, which is out in the autumn. We'll chat about a bit more later, but that's really exciting. Yeah, so exciting. Yeah, officially my debut play, full-length play, I guess. Amazing. Well, we'll sort of get into all that as we go on, but to, to kick us off, we'd quite like to start with people's earliest creative memories. So do you want to cast your mind back to what your earliest creative memories are? Yeah, so I guess I do have quite a few creative memories from when I was really small, because I remember just as a kid playing loads of imaginary games. And I have a twin sister, so I kind of I always had a kind of play partner. And I just have these memories of kind of being tiny, being in the garden with you know, little plastic figurines of animals just making up stories. And I wasn't, you know, writing them down or performing them to anyone. It was just about making up the stories. But then as I got older in school, I remember really loving creative writing. I love doing kind of poems and short stories. And then when I was 11, I decided for some mad reason that I would write a novel. And I've, that was such a precocious thing to think. But I, I did. I tried I did write a novel between when I was 11 and 13. And looking back, I kind of, I don't know where that came from. I probably would have really annoyed myself. Like if I met myself mm. younger now, I would be like, oh my God, what a pretentious child. But, um, <laughs> but I did, I tried to write this novel and I finished it when I was 13. And I did it just through sheets of paper that I, I stole from school. I would just take them from school and I wrote them by hand in pencil and, and kept <laughs> all of these pages next to my bed. And then when I got to 13, I, I'd, I'd finished and I kind of realized I had to tell people that I'd written this thing because I wanted to type it up and thought maybe I could be published. And my parents had no idea when I told them that I'd written this thing. They were kind of shocked. And I tried to type it up. I mean, I did type it up and I did some research about how to become a published novelist, sent it out to some agents in some query letters and obviously did not get published because it was awful. But it was <laughs> it was really pretentious and I just remember, I think I printed it out in Comic Sans MS, which is just a horrendously embarrassing memory. But at the time, I remember thinking when I got these rejection letters that it was completely okay, because obviously I had loads of time and I would be published by the time I was 18. And that didn't happen. I got <laughs> tied up with GCSEs and exams and other things and also got very into theatre, so kind of shifted my my ambitions a bit but those are those are my earliest memories that's very ambitious for for uh, an 11 year old though 
And what an amazing commitment to, to have actually, whether or not you think it's good or not, like to actually have sat every night and chipped away at a novel. It's, it's an amazing for that age. Like, to have, I, don't I think I was just a loser. I think I just didn't really, <laughs> I don't know. I had friends, but clearly I didn't have a social life. I don't know how I found the time. And it was, it was kind of when I got older, I stopped having as much time. But yeah, I guess you're more confident when you're younger. Nice thing though, yeah, and to want to have been published by eighteen feet at the time probably felt like oh that's quite a while away, but you know again very still very young, but nice yeah. to have ambitions like that. I thought I had ages, and and I I am not a published novelist at present, but um, you think you, you, you still like to write a novel one day? Is that still is that still? Yeah, absolutely. I'd I'd love to, and that's something that I've been thinking about recently, and it's really just a question of time because. Mm. I've been focusing on writing plays and writing musicals and you know I also would love to write for TV eventually and there's there's loads of things and there's just you know not enough time in the day to do all these things because I also you know have a job as well but you know at some point I'll find the time. Well they all they all tie into each other anyway don't they they all screenwrite and playwright like novelists that I mean they're very different but you know they all sort of overlap somewhat so yeah it was good it was, it was a really nice answer I don't think we'd had anyone on the podcast that attempted to write a book at the age of 11 before that's very impressive well the sort of second part of this question which I mean they'll probably tie in and you mentioned you were from London but like how is where you're from sort of influenced you as a creative person and where about in London are you from I'll, I'll pretend as a Scottish person that I know London very well even though I go there regularly but do you know what I mean I'll pretend that I know the area Absolutely. I grew up in northwest London, so technically Cricklewood, but I kind of say I'm from like Kilburn or Cricklewood or West Hampstead, depending on who I'm talking to, because, you know, depending on how how posh I want to sound. But I it was a huge influence on me growing up. Just the fact that there were so many there are so many different communities in London. It's such a melting Mm. pot. And I think I was really aware from quite an early age that my perspective was only one perspective. I think you know, growing up with so many different people around you just makes you aware that people have different opinions, different beliefs. And I think in terms of how it's influenced my creative work, it's made me think about what I have to say. And I I never want to tell a story that I don't know enough about or feel I don't mm. necessarily have the right to talk about. Even, even with these demons, the play that's going on this autumn, it's about a Jewish topic and I am Jewish, but I'm fairly non-practicing and going into it one of the things I wanted to do was to bring in a sensitivity reader who knows a lot more about Jewish culture than I do and throughout the development process we've been working with lots of different Jewish creatives to just get other opinions and then I guess in terms of London influencing me on a practical level just having access to that much theatre and culture was amazing and such a privilege I remember kind of seeing going to the theatre and as a family we only really went to the theatre maybe once or twice a year when I was younger but it was when I was 13 I saw Les Miserables in the West Mm. End and that just was it for me in terms of becoming obsessed with musical theatre and that absolutely wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't lived in London because then I was able to see other musicals and I would save up and go and see it and obviously the West End was always expensive but it was nowhere near as expensive then as it is now I remember you could get kind of 20 pound tickets in in the stools if you booked ahead to sit in the front row of lots of theatres and that's just not a thing yeah. now but probably like 80 odd pounds or something now maybe not quite that but yeah it's quite mad mm-hmm. yeah it's ridiculous yeah. yeah I suppose that's really interesting that that's a very common answer from when we have guests that lived in a city particularly a big city like London they often just say that they're lucky in the sense that 
they just had access to all this stuff on their doorstep and how that was the big influence as well. I mean, there's lots of unpacking that as well, of course, but the thing you were saying about having sensitivity readers is really interesting because I'm a script editor in sort of TV and drama and stuff. So like when we develop projects now, it's so... I don't think we would develop anything unless we had an advisor attached that depend on various things. Like I just did the second series of a prison drama called Screw and literally half the job was working with advisors all the time because it's like you have to be careful now. And it's so it's good that that's sort of so normalized in writing now and in storytelling because it's a vital you know part of representing voices properly. I've, I mean, of course, the ideal would still be that you have that, you know, the people whose story it is that you're telling, telling the stories, but obviously that's not always possible. And it's good to have, to just to see that be so common is quite interesting though, yeah. Totally. I don't think it's necessarily that common in theatre. I actually got that advice from some, one of my friends who works in publishing and who is a novelist. Mm. And I, I kind of went and spoke to her because she'd written about a Jewish topic as well. And she basically said to me that she gave me permission to write about this Jewish topic. And she said that a lot of people don't feel Jewish enough to write something, but that's that's just an excuse and that I should go for it anyway. But she spoke about sensitivity readers as kind of a way around it and a way of making sure that you are thinking carefully about what you're saying and getting yeah. other people's opinions. Yeah, I think it's also a cost thing in theatre where there's not as much resources, so it's a bit harder to expect, uh, especially someone who's maybe putting on their first play or is coming into the industry because often you know people maybe put a plan for two days or it's very like you'll know more than me but it's like a very fast turnaround etc so it's not always something that is just going to come naturally as an idea to do because it's expensive as well you often have to pay advisors but it's good that people are thinking more like that anyway yeah and it was it was only possible for us because we we got arts council funding so we own I only ever asked for the sensitivity read when we had a grant that gave us Mm. a bit of budget to do that and we were really lucky that we did have a couple R&Ds along the way where we had that arts council funding yeah no it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear that that's happening though for sure and also very coincidentally last night's guest was also from North London I mean I know it was a big place but it was very random but um just a little extra add on there but sort of on the London thing one of my favorite questions to ask is about people's favorite words and phrases from where they're from is there like a word or phrase from where you grew up that you really like so I find this question really hard and I've tried to think about words that do come from North London specifically and I remember getting asked this exact question on a playwriting course that I did and I remember seeing all of these different writers from other parts of the country come up with really exciting words and phrases and my mind would just completely blank but I guess um the only the only words I could think of were perhaps some words that my mum used to say that were kind of Yiddish inspired words but very mainstream words so for example you know the word schlep is one that a lot of people use but is you know Yiddish inspired and kind of you know means to a really annoying arduous journey also chutzpah is another really common word as she also used to say schmaltzy which which kind of means like overly sentimental or I like, like that. That's nice. yeah and it's quite a fun word what I didn't realize until I was like <laughs> doing my research around it was it, it of course comes from the word schmaltz which is I guess not of course but it comes from the word schmaltz which is the word for chicken fat so it's like literal drippings so if something is schmaltzy it's drippy which is quite fun I know there but, none of the, these have been on the podcast before so they're all oh. um, that's, that's, I was I was convinced they were just so ordinary. That's really funny. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, what we've done 
out right now. I think we it's over 105 episodes on mental. So there's been so many different. There is a lot of common ones on it, especially because I know quite a lot happened just because of where I live. Like quite a lot of Scottish people have been on. But even mm. then, there's a lot of you know it's mental how many different ones there are, which is such an interesting question. It's not really even got anything to do with the arts. It's just like a little fun one that I've just added in along the way. But to sort of bring it back to the creative industries and stuff, like where did you sort of start this idea that you were going to sort of get into playwriting regularly? Was when when you left school did you go and study like a creative course at uni or was it more a case of you'd sort of started getting into fear even younger? I wasn't necessarily I did I don't think I knew that I wanted to get into writing theatre in a conscious way but when I was in school I remember kind of writing sketches and scraps of dialogue for like a couple school sketch shows mm. and then when I went to uni I continued doing that but it was really through musical theatre that I kind of got my first bit of experience and that was completely random. I was a fan of musicals as an audience member and I'd started getting into watching new musicals and so I was sort of aware of the new new British musicals that were starting to be written and when I was when I was a student at uni I was just studying English, English literature but I I sent a couple emails asking for work experience Mm. at some musical theatre companies and a new musical theatre writing company called Perfect Pitch said that I could intern with them for the first summer after uni. And that's a company that develops original new musicals. And so I was able to do that. And that's that's another thing that I was only able to do because I lived in London. So I was a student and I could live at my parents' place over the summer. So I didn't have to pay rent or anything like that. And it was through that that I got to see how new musicals were made and developed. Mm. And I went in knowing that I was a writer, but I was quite nervous about showing anyone my writing. But they really supported me and kind of mentored me in a way like they agreed to read some of the things I'd written. And I think because I had experienced the way that a musical was developed, that felt like the most accessible route to me. So I started doing that. And in terms of playwriting, that was something I wanted to do but knew a bit less about. And so I got into that through doing a playwriting course at Soho Theatre, which which is brilliant and is still still running today. And is something I'd totally recommend to anyone who is interested in playwriting. Amazing. Just to sort of go back to the musical theatre and work in someone that develops it and stuff, like I don't really think we've had a few composers on the podcast before, a few people that have worked in musical theatre and stuff like that, but not something we'd had on a lot. But like, how is, how are musical theatres? How does that all work? What's the process for developing new musical because new musicals aren't as common often it's you know traditional ones that are retold and reimagined most of the time but how does how do new musicals come around like what's the sort of process I know it'd be different in lots of places but yeah I mean it is really interesting it's it's a really long process a lot of musicals take years and years and years to be developed I think a lot of that is down to funding because they're so expensive as soon as you as soon as you want to workshop a musical or do an R&D of it it just costs more money because you need a musical director as well as the cast you might need a choreographer or a music director you need to add in time to teach the cast the songs and I think in the UK we have less of a tradition of developing new musicals Mm. the kind of musicals that often get produced are adaptations or they're jukebox musicals But there is a whole scene of new musical theatre writers and producers who are committed to developing new musicals. It's just less common and less well known because there are so few people willing to invest lots of money into it. And so those Mm. productions tend to be more on the fringe. Yeah, that's interesting. And of course, like you from there, I mean, I know you won like a, a new music 
for your award in 2019 as well. So when you were there, were you able to sort of, was that your first time you sort of developed your own musical for the first time, etc.? Um, it wasn't the first time. So the first time I started writing a new musical was was through Perfect Pitch. So actually after I interned there, I was really lucky in that they asked me to stay on working there. And so I became their literary associate for a few years and I stayed on throughout while I was university. And then when I graduated, I, I started working there full time. And I worked there for a couple of years and they'd they kind of said that. So they'd seen my writing, had been really supportive. They didn't commit to develop anything officially. But what they had said was that if I if I pitched them a couple ideas, they would tell me which one they thought was the best. And they might connect me with a, a composer who was of a similar level to me in terms of an emerging writer. And so I, I went away and I pitched them. I thought up three ideas. I was really excited by them. I, I mm-hmm. sent them the ideas and I, I asked which one was their favourite and they came back and said none of them <laughs> go away and, and try again so I, I they're I, honest though it's good that they're honest because sometimes you need to hear that honesty yeah absolutely and it was really helpful because it didn't it didn't mean that I had to up my game and so I I just had to go back to the drawing board and I kind of pitched the idea that became the first musical that I developed which has become this huge long journey of a musical that I've I have been developing for many many years since um, it's called Game Theory it's a coming-of-age crime thriller about university students who steal endangered flowers, which is based on a real black market that really does exist. And I, it's this kind of weird, quirky idea that they liked and that enough people have liked along the way that we've I've been able to develop it with the composer, Josh, that they connected with me with. So that was the first musical that I started writing. And the New Music Theatre Award was that came from a call out. So the company British Youth Music Theatre did a call out for writers under the age mm. of 30 to pitch ideas. And so I applied with another composer, Elizabeth, who I'd already met through a, a musical theatre writing course. And we pitched an idea, we got through to the final and then we won the award, which meant that we got commissioned to write the show. So that was kind of my second full length show that I was writing. Yeah. And have these been on as well? Did you did you get to sort of stage these or is it still sort of in the development process? Yeah, they've been staged in smaller ways than a full a full production. Mm. So the New Music Theatre Award, part of what we won was a production at the New Wolsey Theatre. And that was through British Youth Music Theatre. So it was kind of, I think it was three or four days and it was performed by a really brilliant, talented young cast and then a professional creative team. And similarly, the other musical game theory has received a work in progress university production that was back in 2019. It was supposed Mm. to be produced in 2020 as the young company production at the Birmingham Hippodrome. And then COVID happened and the production didn't happen, but it was produced in concert in 2021 at the Lowry Theatre and we're still waiting for a chance to its full production I still really believe in that show it's amazing which just maybe it'd be interesting to get you to sort of talk about this actually which is the relationship between a writer and a composer how does mm-hmm. that work for so for anyone listening that maybe wants to get into playwriting and particularly for musical theatre like how, how does that relationship work it can work in lots of different ways it's it's all about the collaboration and that creative partnership and I've there are the two composers that I work with the most I've I've known them for about eight years now and we've worked on a couple different projects in each partnership and I guess it depends on the relationship and what people want out of it I really like the collaborative conversation so usually or what I would say is a method that works really well is to talk about an idea together so 
one of you might come up with the idea for the story, but then usually or ideally what happens is there's a lot of conversations that happen before anything is decided or before the story is planned. And if you're working on an adaptation, then the process could be quicker. I I like writing original stories. That's that's mostly what I've done. And it's really just about that kind of, I guess, the to and fro between you. And then when it comes to actually writing the songs, it's about choosing the moments in the story that speak to both mm. of you and kind of those moments that feel like they might become a song. And then and then just a lot of trial and error. It might be, I mean, there's a conversation about, you know, music first or lyrics first. And and to be honest, I do both in that, you know, a lot of the time when it's a very first draft, I might write the lyrics first just to kind of get the idea of the character mm. and what the story needs to do. But often what happens is that once I know that and once the composer knows that, the composer might come up with a melody and then I just chuck out the lyrics and start again entirely. And so it's it's different for different collaborations, I think. And does that answer your question? I guess I haven't said how people yeah. might, might want to get into it. Maybe um, you can answer that if you like as well. If, I mean, if yeah. you want to add. Yeah, I mean, I guess, so there's a couple organisations that are really good for emerging writers or people who want to write musicals. There's MMD, which is, their full name is Mercury Musicals Developments, and they're a membership organisation. So they're really great for people who are just starting out because... They, they are full of members and writers and they hold events for emerging writers as well. There's also the musical theatre writing course that I went on called BML or Book Music and Lyrics. And the way that that works is you can go in as a composer or as a lyricist. And then they it's a course that so you meet every single week and they pair you up over the course of the year. So you get to w- work with a lot of different people and you're given mm. a, a little task like, you know, write a write a song for a scene in a Shakespeare play or write, you know, a, one of their exercises is like a, a happy goodbye or a sad hello. And you just have to do these exercises and you get to collaborate with lots of different people. That's really interesting. And what's the, what would you say the hardest part of the process is for you? I mean, I know that can depend on each show, but like, I mean, even like the idea of writing lyrics and, and having to write the story and making it all work with the music, it's a very difficult thing to get right. Yeah, it is. And I think that's also one of the reasons why musicals take so long to develop because it it is, I mean, I wouldn't say... I definitely wouldn't say that I am better at writing plays than writing musicals, but they they happen faster because there are fewer elements. Whereas with musicals, I don't know, it's just it, it can be a real nightmare finding the right mm. moment in the story and finding finding the lyrics that fit the moment. And I, I mean, I, I tend to throw away a lot of songs and it takes a lot of drafts. And I find lyrics to be really, really painful at times to write Mm. I love doing it it can be like a puzzle but I think there's something that can be really frustrating about sitting down and trying to write you know a verse to a song because I can't just blurt it out with with a with a play I can kind of write really crap dialogue really quickly but with lyrics Mm. if you write crap lyrics really quickly they're not really lyrics because they might not have a rhythm or they might not rhyme and so I would say that's one of the hardest parts of the process and also just waiting I think waiting for people to fund you or people to give you a chance is really hard because you kind of need you need performers, you need an MD, you need different people to help you get up get that show on its feet even just to workshop it it just takes more resources yeah it'd be quite tricky to just sit and sing yourself as you write age etc do you know what I mean Wouldn't be yeah and I'm a terrible like... singer so that doesn't work at all <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all really interesting it's all I, again it's a world I don't know a lot about so it's it's interesting to hear about it Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys 
that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. Just to sort of move on to your upcoming play, which is a play that, right, this one, like, These Demons isn't a musical, is it? It's just a straight no. play. So straight again, play. different to, was it was that easier or harder or just different? I think just different. I find it faster to write a draft, but that doesn't mean that it's good. These Demons is obviously, it's going to be on a theatre, it's theatre 503, right? Yes, um, this so 503 is, in London. Is that, is that, it's in London. Amazing. And that's going on in, what, the end of, is it the end of September type time? Yes, it's going on from the 26th of September to the 14th of October. Uh, that's very exciting. And this is the first sort of proper run you've done with a play before as well, isn't it? Yes, totally. I've done short plays before, but I've, I've never done a full length play in a full three week run or anything nearing three weeks before so it's really exciting and really scary as well yeah what are you most excited for about the about the show going on I mean I'm sure lots of things but is there anything in particular I'm really excited just to see it all come together and to work with a brilliant cast which which we have it hasn't been announced yet but the cast are brilliant to work with a full creative team and to really kind of refine it and finesse it because often in the the work that I've had staged before it's been a much faster process so I'm really looking forward to getting into a longer rehearsal process and really coming up with something that feels complete and finished yeah no that's really exciting uh, but t- tell us a bit about like the origin of this how did this all come about and what's the play about etc so the really short answer is that it's a play about Jewish demonology and that was the the origin and that was the basis for the play in itself I, I discovered that Jewish demonology was a thing a few years ago and was really just excited and surprised by it because it wasn't it wasn't something that I'd come across I was actually doing research for a different play I was doing a just a bog standard haunted house story and I wanted to find something to haunt the characters and so I just started googling and I just realized that Jewish demons existed and what struck me was just the fact that even though you know I I I went to synagogue when I was younger I I didn't for a long time, but I'd never heard of it and I never knew about it. And I messaged my other friends who were Jewish and most of them had also never come across the idea that Jewish demons even existed. And that was really exciting to me, the idea that there was this kind of element of the religion that is is really unknown and quite niche. And I got in touch with the rabbi of my 
of my, the synagogue where I grew up and I, I spoke to the rabbi about Jewish demons and she basically told me that they're in these really vital texts that are really important to the religion and there are references to different types of demons scattered all throughout history but but they really get taught and people don't like to talk about them and I think there's something so fascinating there about the weirdness that we repress and that we don't want mm. to know and so when it came to write this play I guess the inciting incident of the writing of the play was I was speaking to the uh, director who I met during lockdown we were paired together for a really short online monologue and then we got to talking afterwards and she was asking me what else I was interested in writing and I mentioned Jewish demons and she just said oh I would want to direct that so I said okay great I'll I'll write it and so from there it was about figuring out a story that could fit around that initial kernel of Jewish demons so what what we've ended up with is it's a dark comedy horror exploring family ties and sisterhood and Jewish demonology. And it's it kind of weaves together different types of Jewish demons while exploring themes of family ties and fear and what it means to feel other. And the story itself is about a 17-year-old girl called Leia who has a very close relationship with her aunt who happens to be an academic and non-fiction writer about Jewish history and Jewish demonology. And before the play begins, the aunt is attacked by a local teenager from the village where she lives and the aunt ends up in hospital. And so the 17-year-old, Leia, goes on a mission of revenge to find the person who she thinks attacked her aunt. And so Leia runs away from home and she ends up at her aunt's cottage out in the woods near this village. And while she's in the cottage, she starts to hear strange noises and she starts to remember all of the stories that her aunt told her over the years about the different types of Jewish demons. And she becomes convinced that the house is haunted. And her sister, Danielle, finds Leia but Leia refuses to leave. And so as the night goes on, it turns into a kind of haunted house story. And it's also quite metaphorical. It's a bit abstract. And it's about Leia's relationship with her family as, as much as it is as it is about the demons. And it sounds very interesting and quite original as well. Like the, obviously you were saying about like exploring like Jewish demons and things like that in a way that even for you was quite a like self-discovering thing to do, like to sort of go on that journey, uh, probably about your own identity and your own past and sort of put it on the stage. It's really interesting. And obviously it's quite a long run as well, like 26th of September to like the 14th of August. I mean, it's quite, so it's on every night, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a full three week run, which which is super Amazing. exciting. Yeah, that's really exciting. Have you sort of already started rehearsing that now or is that sort of going to come properly? Like, I imagine it gets more intense the closer it gets to the time. Yeah, so we, we start rehearsals at the very start of September. And so at the moment, we're just in pre-production, we're casting it, we've got the creative team. And we've also done a couple R&Ds of the play over the past two years. And we were really lucky to get Arts Council funding back in mm. 2021. And we did an initial R&D with some actors just to try out the text and pull it apart. And then we did another R&D in 2022. To looking more at the design of it and so we've, we've tried it out and tested it but every single time it's had a new draft and so this is a very different new version which mm -hmm. is exciting and terrifying and I still need to do another draft between now and rehearsals and that's that's me deciding that I want a new version it's not someone else yeah. telling me I suppose what must be hard though as well but also interesting is like how much time sort of between I mean going back to 2021 like that's over like a two-year period is a, a long time to sort of be mulling over something and that like, you'll change as a person too so that is that difficult or do you think that makes it almost better in a way I guess for me it's quite normal and I wasn't only focusing on that play over the course mm. of those two years I tend to work on quite a few different projects all at once so I've, I've been developing some musicals alongside the play at the same time so I guess it doesn't 
it doesn't feel like a long amount of time for me. If anything, it feels really quick <laughs> compared mm -hmm. to the musicals that I've been working on. And I, f I feel like I improve over time as well. It does take me time to to draft and redraft and take on people's feedback. Yeah, it's always very interesting for me in TV development how because you work on stuff for years sometimes and it's it's so strange the journey things go on sometimes for the best sometimes for the worst it just depends it's a, often a lottery as well and about how you connect with the project but this was also long listed for the the Women's Theatre Prize as well wasn't it which is an amazing sort of nod to yeah get. yeah and that that was back in 2021 and I was so shocked by that because that was a really early draft it was it was a really messy draft as well as in I did I did kind of an initial first draft that was almost like a vomit draft but I thought was quite boring and then I kind of made a decision when we found out we got funding for an R&D that I would rather it be interesting but make no sense than boring but make sense and so the draft that got longlisted for the prize was the interesting but makes no sense draft but what's brilliant about that prize is they say that you can submit something that isn't finished and they let you write kind of a cover letter that explains where you're at in the process and I think if I hadn't known that I don't think I would have submitted it but it was it was a huge boost because it just gave me that confidence to think maybe there's something in this play and there and there obviously was and it's been in the journey it's now but I always say this to younger writers and to writers that I sort of maybe have meetings with that maybe aren't quite ready to have something in development it's like it's all about voice like when I read a script I'm looking for voice I'm not you know it doesn't really matter if the plot isn't quite there yet because that can be fixed if the voice is there then you can't teach people that it, it's an it comes you can learn it and get better at it but I think it's like something that's natural in a way mm. Yeah, probably. I think tone is really important. And I think sometimes that's one of the things that I find hardest because mm. I quite like throwing together different genres and different ideas. And I, I like writing about really dark subjects, but with comedy in there. But I think sometimes in my early drafts, it doesn't necessarily come across on the page or people have said to me, oh, I'm not quite sure what the tone is. So I think it does take, it usually takes me a few drafts to get what I want to say to a place where it comes across to other people who are reading it. Yeah, it's a really subjective thing, though, as well, because, you know, somebody could read one draft and love it and somebody could read it and go, oh, that's terrible. Do you know what I mean? It's just, again, it's so hard to know. There's not really a right or wrong answer, although I would argue there is such a thing as bad, right, obviously. But then I guess, it, you know, that's what's lovely about art is you can always interpret it in different ways, etc. I have some sort of quick fire questions for you. Thank you for sort of talking about the play. Obviously, we'll link this in the show notes so when people listen to this, Please, if you're in London or even if you're visiting London, etc., go and see these demons. Very exciting. But I have some quick fire questions for you. And the first of these are, what's sort of your biggest influence as a writer? Are there any writers that you look up to, etc.? Good question. I mean, in terms of musical theatre, it's, it's really typical to say Sondheim. And I wouldn't say that he's influenced my writing in that I, I don't think I write like him. But his the way that he goes really in depth into character through song and he treats he treats the form really seriously is something that's been a mm. huge influence on me um, in terms of playwrights. I'm a huge fan of Lucy Preble's writing yeah. and obviously she's done Succession now. So is writing for TV as well as plays. But I think there's something so interesting and dark and comedic about her writing. Yeah, she's she's amazing. And sort of speaking about musicals, do you have a favourite musical? So Les Miserables was the show that got me into musicals, but I I don't know, I don't want to say it's not my favourite because that would feel like a betrayal, but I also really love the musical Parade by Jason Robert Brown, which I, do, I don't know if you know it, 
No, I, I, um, I'm not particularly knowledgeable about musicals. I like some musicals. It's, I'm not like, I, can, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I think that I like them, but I'm not like a massive musical theatre head, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I'd go totally. and see one, but I'm not like an expert on them whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true of most people. It's a really brilliant show that's really dark and it's kind of a historic story about set in Atlanta in America. And it's about a Jewish man who was accused of it's quite a dark story accused of um, molesting a young girl but and then the, the trial that ensued but it's really about the prejudice that was around at the time but I feel like I've made it sound really dark but it's it's brilliant <laughs> I was interested though like I mean limit I mean Limit is kind of dark as well as a musical most musicals are actually quite dark if you peel away the yes and and on the whole I do like I like things that have comedy as well I really like mm. the mixture of, of dark comedy and, and the light and the shade as well I wouldn't say I'm only about the grim stuff no, that's interesting. And um, the next question is, if you could write any play or TV series or I'll add musical in, because it wasn't the original question from history, what would it be? So like uh, something that exists, but you could have been the one to write it. Oh, I mean, the TV show that I still love from when I was younger is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, you know, there are problematic things around the creator now but I still think it's such such a brilliant powerful story that does blend loads of dark things with humorous things and it Mm. has it was really really clever in the way that it used the fantasy to talk about metaphors for growing up I don't know if I would I would ever want to have written it because it's so good as it is (laughs) yeah I guess I mean there's the musical that's on at the moment Operation Mincemeat is so clever and it's one of those shows that I'd I'd heard about before I went in and watched it and I'd heard how amazing it was and kind of thought it probably wouldn't live up to the hype and then I went and watched it and it 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 just made me really really jealous of the writing because it's so clever and so smart um but also the writers of that show perform in it as well and I'm not a performer so they're just they're just multi talented in a way that I am not but that's a show that I wish I'd written I mean that's a very interesting answer I've Buffy's come up on this podcast a few times quite a few writers I've had on in the past that rave about that show never actually seen it but yeah oh you should watch it I've heard I want it it does come up a lot people seem to love it so I've heard good things but thank you for that the best venue that you've got to have your work on in so far I got to do a concert performance of my musical game theory at the Lowry Theatre. And what was amazing about that was it was just after lockdown because it was in 2021 and we we got to perform on the main stage. I say we, the actors got to perform on the main stage um, and it's this massive venue. And even though we had a really small audience, it was, it was incredible to be in a place like that. And what's the favourite venue that you've got to, what, you know, you just watch something on in general? So a brilliant venue that I went to was actually in New Mexico and it was an Mm -hmm. opera house. I don't know what the name of it was, but it's an open air opera house near Santa Fe. And I I went to watch it and I'm not I'm not really a huge opera fan, but the experience of sitting in that theatre was amazing because it was open air. And while we were watching it, the backdrop of the opera Mm -hmm. was completely open. So you could see the hills and you could see the clouds. And there was a lightning storm that happened behind Mm -hmm. the opera while we were watching it. That was just incredible. So I would say that's the most amazing venue that I've watched something in. Wow. I've actually never seen an opera live, but speaking about like, Lightning storms. I was I just I was on holiday in Italy last week in the mountains, and I'd never actually seen a proper you know lightning storm like prop. You know I've seen like thunder and lightning in the UK. Obviously, I've never seen a proper storm like that. And it, I wouldn't be able to watch the opera. I would have just been mesmerised by the by the thunder I was. and lightning. But I suppose with the music going, that would have been very atmospheric. Yes, I I 
definitely focused a bit more on that storm than I did on the opera while it was going on. But it was an amazing experience. Amazing, yeah. Well, last of the quickfires is, do you have a favourite character that you've written, but also a favourite character that exists in media in general? Good question. Ooh, it's, that's a really hard question. I mean, I'm right, I'm developing a musical at the moment, which is is still in development. So literally no one's heard of it. No one else knows the character, but it's a it's a love story between two telepaths. It's kind of like when Harry met Sally, but with telepathy. And one of the characters, the girl, is called Nellie. And she part of the in the story, she uses her telepathy to manipulate other people and take advantage of other people. And she has this sense of humor that's really dark because she just thinks like, oh, well, I have this power to hear everyone's secrets. Why not use it if I can? And obviously she goes on a journey throughout the show where she learns that that's not the best thing to do, but she's really, really fun to write. And in terms of a character that exists, is this on stage or can it be on screen? Or anything. It could be anything. In anything. Like I'm a huge fan of Homeland. And I think that Carrie in Homeland is, is a brilliantly layered character because she has so much dark stuff going on and she's such an imperfect character but you understand absolutely everything that she does and I think that the the journey that she goes on through that show was really really fun to watch and really really moving as well thank you thank you for all these answers I know I'm putting you on the spot and you got very very fast got them very well I've just got a few more questions I know we've been speaking for like four minutes I'll start to wrap things up but you mentioned at the start you have a job on top of your your writing and your composing Mm -hmm. stuff obviously but how how, from there'll be lots of people listening there in a similar position that are you know trying to follow their passion but they need to pay the bills etc especially in a cost of living crisis but how do you manage to do that and sort of keep writing on the side how do you juggle that do you have any advice for anyone on that yeah so actually the the job I have at the moment is it is still in theatre I work for a theatre company and what I found and that's something that I have done and what I found is that I I like to be close to the industry I feel like it's I I can't do a job if I Mm. don't necessarily believe in what I'm doing but this is the first year that I'm working three days a week as opposed to four days or full time. And I've gradually dropped down from full time over time, which, you know, is is difficult financially, but it means that I'm just gradually trying to give myself the space to write. And I think that that's something that I would advise people because I think there are some people who can freelance and can just put all of their eggs into their creative basket and just make it work. But when I tried that, when I was in my early 20s, I found it really stressful. And something that I learned about myself was that having that stability of a full-time job or a semi-full-time job just meant that I was taking away that pressure on myself to create Mm. money from my own writing. And it meant that I was able to write what I loved and I I didn't have that stress on it at the same time. And this is the first year where I am putting that pressure on on myself to earn some money out of my writing. And we'll see how that goes. But I, I think that I'm definitely glad that I've approached it in that way and that I I've had the headspace to be able to do that yeah I think that's a really interesting answer and I think you're so right that I think and I've spoken to a friend recently who I wouldn't name but like was t- sort of telling me that they actually when they went sort of freelance to focus on the writing they actually became a worse writer because it's just so much pressure to have to earn money and the stress of it and I totally get that especially someone who's working in a sort of industry like TV where you never have a permanent contract and I'm very lucky mm-hmm. to have a job but it's you can still it's, it's very stressful still and I couldn't imagine doing that but also the stuff you have to write on the page is what's paying your bills etc like that's just so much pressure so I think it's a really interesting answer I mean it's good for people to hear someone like yourself who's about to put on a 
a play on and has had a semi-successful, you know, writing career so far, which is amazing. Like, but you know, you still have to obviously work these other jobs that keep going. It's it's interesting and again very common on this podcast, which is you know a lot of people in this boat. Yeah, I think it means that you can just take your time with your writing. Like, I always do feel that pressure to write faster, and I I. I always feel like I'm not progressing as fast as I want to be. But at the same time, I don't have that financial pressure to earn a certain amount of money within the financial year. And I think it's meant that I I could write what I wanted to write rather than try and write something that is I think is going to earn money because I think that's always going to be worse if you're just trying to chase what feels commercial. Yeah, 100%. And it just sort of waters down the creativeness of it um, as well. This is another important question. Obviously, mental health is a big part of this industry. And thankfully, we talk about it a lot more. For some reason, creative people tend to think that like being healthy and staying mentally healthy doesn't really apply to us. It's not, 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 obviously not everyone thinks that, but I think in general, we're quite a bad group for sort of thinking, oh, like pain means makes good art and I'll keep working through all this stuff. But how do you sort of cope mentally with the demands of this industry? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I live a slightly boring lifestyle sometimes. I don't get super drunk super often. I try to do some exercise. Uh, a habit that I started in lockdown was just to make sure that I went out of the house once a day. And that that might be a long walk or a run or or some form of exercise. Obviously, sometimes or often I'll go out of my flat more than once, but I think at least once is a good mm. a good thing, even if it's terrible weather. I also in the past year have done The Artist's Way, which is this book, which which a lot of people have that I know have tried and done and found really helpful. And I, I started that when I was, a friend told me that it sounded like I was a little bit burnt out because I was feeling really negative about all of these writing projects that were happening. And so what that I picked up that book and what it does is it just reminds you to remember why you do it and it it reminds you to connect with the joy of doing things and so I I still do morning pages when I can not every day and not in the official way you're supposed to write maybe three pages every morning first thing and I don't do that I write maybe one page when I remember um but I think it's just a really a really useful approach and I think it's essentially like journaling just getting mm. my thoughts down on a page I'm less good mm. at the other thing you're supposed to do through the artist's way which is an artist date where you're supposed to go and do something fun for yourself by yourself I'm really rubbish at that I can I tend to be <laughs> quite a workaholic but I will get better eventually so j- just th- that's a really really nice answer and thank you for sort of being vulnerable and, and going into that but just to sort of ask about the artist's way which I, th- mm. I think I've, I think I've heard of this before but like is that sort of all that idea of that is is it the writing thing in the morning and then doing something is that the just two simple ways or um those are two parts of it it's it's basically a big old book that you can buy and you can get copies secondhand in quite a lot of places and it's it's a 12-week course or you know I kind of say course in inverted commas but there's a kind of a chapter of mini essays that you can read every single week that ask you to do things like reflect on your inner critic or Think about all the things that you might have wanted to do when you were a child or things that you really find fun just for the sake of having fun. And Mm. so what's really good is that you're supposed to read a a chapter a week and at the same time do morning pages. So write a few pages of free writing, which isn't supposed to be creative writing at all. It can literally be like, oh, my God, I slept really badly last night. I have a headache. The neighbors were really loud. It, It can just be whatever you want to say. But just to get something out on the page, to to get that flowing. That's interesting. And and again, I think the way that you're interpreting it, like you're just sort of taking bits of it and doing what suits you. And Mm. of course, that that, what's nice about that is everyone can interpret anything like that in their own way. And if it helps, then that's great. So 
Oh, that's a really totally. good answer. Thank you for that. I've got two more questions. The first is, what are like three things that you think someone would need to, to be playwright, a writer, you know, writing musical theatre, etc. all the things you do? So I think that listening is a really important skill, both in terms of playwriting and, you know, listening to how people talk, listening to how people interact mm. with each other, but also in terms of feedback and in terms of working with a collaborator, which is so important when working in musical theatre. You know, some people will write an entire musical by themselves, but most people will write with a writing partner. And it's so important to be compassionate and in tune with the person you're writing with and also listen to what they're saying, because when you're getting feedback, whether it's from a collaborator or from just you know, dramaturg or someone giving you feedback, you need to be humble. And if you listen to what they're saying, even if you disagree, there's often a kernel of truth in it. And they often have a point. Yeah. The, another thing that I would say is empathy. I think that that's so key to being a creative in any way and just being open to other people's experiences and just trying to understand why people do what they do. I think that that is really important for creating believable layered characters and then the third thing I would say is resilience and persistence because this industry can be really brutal and also it takes time I think that it's really important to be able to play the long game and that's definitely something that I have struggled with in the past when I felt like I'm not necessarily doing all the things that I want to be doing Mm. as fast as I want to do them but I try to tell myself that it's okay because it's not a race and I think it's really important to keep on going and to just hold out and have faith that something might happen in future even if it feels like nothing is happening now all three all three of those are also accurate and true for so many jobs in this creative industry and quite common ones I think it's interesting that sort of this answer a lot of people have similar ones I think it must Mm. just show you that there's certain personality traits and things that just really do help you in this industry I mean I think listening and empathy are so key to what I do but also to be a writer by the sounds of it and from so many different jobs and persistence is a very important one like you have to be really determined or you're just you know it's such a brutal industry and it's so difficult and even when you quote make it which is a very very loose term because you, you know I, I work with writers who a lot of people would say they'd made it but they still wouldn't feel like they'd made it do you know what I mean who so it's yeah. so true you do have to be very persistent so thank you for that very thoughtful answer and just to sort of close again I guess you'd sort of given advice for it but what would your sort of closing advice be to anyone who wants to be a writer etc I would say really hold on to those relationships that you make with other creative people because I think making any kind of art is about collaboration but I think especially in theatre it's about working with other people and I've I've been really lucky in that I've I've had really good long creative partnerships with quite a few people and even when you disagree or you go through different stages of life you know sometimes you might work with someone on a project and it it goes amazingly and you're both on the same page and you're both fully focused. And then, you know, another time that person might be at a different stage in their life, they might need to prioritize a different job or they might have other things going on. And I think being, being compassionate and just really nurturing that relationship, even, even when it's not what you might want it to be in that moment is really important because you never know what's going to happen. And I think those are, those are one of the best things about this industry. And, and it's, you know, you can come up with amazing things if you if you really know someone really well. It's also true. Another very 
you know, fought for Lancer, etc. Rachel, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Do you want to plug the play one more time just so people listening just remind them where they can see it? Yeah, link, thank it's you. Link, it's linked under the podcast, obviously, but just remind yes. them one last. So the play is called These Demons and it is going to Theatre 503 in London and it starts on the 26th of September and runs until the 14th of October. And please come and see it. Very exciting. Well, I wish you the best of luck with the play. And generally, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for your time as well. Pleasure. Well, there you go. That was episode 114 of Just Get A Real Job podcast. Thank you to Rachel again for her time. Be sure to go and see These Demons at Theatre 503, which is on till the 14th of October links to that in the show notes be sure to come and see us live on the 8th of october 10 30 get yourself a coffee come down to paisley come see us do a live podcast at the hp film festival come see some great short films and hang out with us it's going to be good as always if you're listening to this and you're enjoying it tell people to listen give us some positive ratings shares online all that jazz and yeah as always massive shout out to elliot for his hard work on the edit he's particularly busy at the moment so really appreciate it and have a lovely week everyone Just get a real job